the journey of marching through Mark comes to an end today. We started a number of years ago, but this is the last sermon uh, that will be preached by me uh, as we march through Mark. It's a sermon that leaves Jesus in the tomb, in the grave. But the reason why I won't be preaching Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, is because we preached that sermon on Resurrection Sunday of this year. The title of the message was Surprise at Sunrise. We noted uh, in that passage the surprise of the stone being rolled away. Uh, the surprise of an angel in the tomb. And most importantly, the surprise of Jesus Christ having risen from the dead. So next Sunday, I won't be preaching Mark 16, 1 through 8. And you might wonder, why am I not preaching Mark 16, 9 through 20? And all I can tell you is I'll send you an email and let you know the reason for that. But the subject of our text today is the burial of Jesus. The death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, rightfully so, are, get a lot of attention. There are books, there are articles, there are sermons devoted to the death of Jesus on Calvary's cross and to Christ rising from the dead. But sandwiched between the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ is the fact of his burial. And sometimes we can overlook that important truth. The Apostle Paul didn't uh, when he gave the gospel message to the Corinthians in a nutshell. He said in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 5 that this is the gospel. Paul says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the twelve. So when you look at the heart of the gospel, it's not just the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, but Paul says it's the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the appearance of Christ. That is the gospel message. The death of Christ is confirmed by his burial. The burial of Christ lays the foundation for the glorious truth that Jesus arose bodily from the dead. So we cannot ignore, we cannot eliminate the burial of Jesus. It is crucial to assuring us and confirming for us that Jesus indeed died, but also it lays the foundation that our Savior arose bodily from the dead. And so Mark does not minimize 
the burial of Jesus. He doesn't just use one word and skip over it. No, he devotes some attention to it. It's a strategic part of his argument that began all the way in chapter 1, verse 1, when he said that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. The, the proof and the evidence that supports that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, that Jesus is the Son of God, is not only his death, but also his burial and his resurrection. And believe it or not, the burial of Jesus has implications for our lives. Uh, it is a truth that is applicable to how you and I are to live. And so I want you to join me today as we look at this important subject of the burial of Jesus. We're looking at it from Mark's perspective. It's also found in Matthew, in Luke, and in John. None of the gospel writers eliminates this important historical fact of the burial of Jesus Christ. As we focus on the burial of Jesus, please note the request for Jesus' body for burial in verses 42 and 43. Uh, the request was made when evening had come. At 9 a.m., Jesus Christ was crucified. At noon, darkness came over all the land of Jerusalem and Judea. At 3 p.m., Jesus breathed his last breath. Now Mark is telling us when evening came, and he's probably talking about the time right up leading to evening, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m., he points out that that was when the request for Jesus' body for burial took place. And the request came because it was the preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. Now, in our week, we don't think about the preparation day. It has no significance to us. But in the Jewish calendar, the Jewish week, the day of preparation was the day before the Sabbath. And it was called the day of preparation because Jewish home would prepare for the Sabbath day. Remember, on the Sabbath day, they were to rest. On the Sabbath day, they were to keep it holy. They were to remember it. No, quote, work was to be done. And so in order to cover that, they did the work the day before, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. And in our reckoning, we're talking about this being Good Friday. When the sun goes down on Good Friday, the Sabbath begins. And Mark tells us that because of that reality, that a request is made, because of the reality that they didn't want to violate the Mosaic law, 
They couldn't do work on the Mosaic law. They couldn't wait later and do something on that Sabbath day with regards to the body of Jesus. So it was now necessary to do something right away before the Sabbath came. And there was another reason why it was important. They didn't want to violate the Mosaic law, but neither did they want to violate Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23. Oftentimes we look at those verses and speak of them of the fact that it speaks of the fact that the one who hangs on a tree is cursed. And Paul quotes that in Galatians 3. He talks about how Christ was cursed when he hung on that tree for you and for me. But also part of that ver- those two verses is that a statement is given to the Jewish people. That if somebody dies by being hung on a tree, that it was necessary to take the body off before the Sabbath day. You could not let the body hang overnight on the tree. And so Mark is letting us know that the reason why the request is being made is, first of all, to make sure that the the, uh, Mosaic law is not violated, but also to be obedient to Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23. The fact that you don't want to leave a dead body hanging on a tree overnight. And so Mark lets us know that this request was made because of that, those realities. And the request was made by Joseph of Arimathea. We don't know much about Arimathea. It probably was a few miles away from Jerusalem. But Joseph probably wasn't living there. He lived in Jerusalem. And we're introduced to this individual at the very end of the gospel. An individual that we really don't know anything about at all. Mark tells us that the one who made the request was Joseph. And he lets us know that Joseph was a respected man. People looked up to him. In fact, it said that he was a prominent member of the council. To put it in another way, he was a noble person who was a part of the Sanhedrin. Remember, it was the Sanhedrin, along with the high priest Caiaphas, who sentenced Jesus to death. Joseph was a part of that group, but evidently he did not agree with that sentence of condemnation. But he was prominent. He was well-respected. He was also religious. The text says that he was looking and waiting for the kingdom of God. Now again, kingdom of God might not mean that much to us, but to the Jewish people, they look forward to that day when God himself would reign and rule on planet Earth. That was their anticipation. That was their hope. Individuals who were under the jurisdiction and under the thumb of Roman people looked forward 
to being delivered. And here was a man waiting for the kingdom of God. When Jesus began his public ministry, he began his public ministry by saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's how crucial the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying it's here. It wasn't literally on earth, but it's at hand. It's right here. Now, in light of that, repent, turn from your sins and believe in the good news. So evidently, this individual, Joseph, was waiting for the kingdom of God. He might have heard Jesus' words, and if he didn't hear them, he was made aware of them. But here was a man who was religious, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. When we look at the other gospel, we learn also that he was rich. And then the other thing that we learn from the gospel of John is that he was a disciple. He was a follower of Jesus. But he was a secret disciple. He was a closet disciple. And John tells us in John 19, it was because of the fact that he feared people. Because of his fear of others, he was a silent, quiet, closet follower of Jesus. This is the one who makes the request. And Mark says that he comes, and he comes with courage. He comes with boldness. No longer do we see a silent follower of Jesus. No longer do we see a closet disciple. He comes out of the closet in a godly way. He makes it known that his allegiance is to Jesus. And he's willing to stand up to Pilate who has sent Jesus to death. He's willing to come into his presence. This prominent religious man is willing to come to Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. That was a significant act on his part. No longer is he silent. No longer is he a secret disciple. He is a disciple out in the open. He's willing to let all know, and even the governor who put Jesus to death, so to speak, he wants him to know, I want the body of Jesus. I want the body of Jesus. But he came boldly, came with courage. He broke out of that past where he was silent and didn't want people to know. And he steps up to Pilate and he asks for the body of Jesus. As we continue to focus on the burial of Jesus, please note the release of Jesus' body for burial in verses 44 and 45. 
the attention shifts from Joseph to Pilate. It shifts from Joseph's request to Pilate's response. Joseph comes to Pilate and says, I want the body of Jesus. This one that you've had crucified, this this one that you have sentenced to death, I want his body. And, And Pilate responds to Joseph's request by marveling that Jesus had died. At this point in time, Pilate was separated from the crucifixion scene. His living quarters where he was staying was not right at the cross. There was some distance. We don't know how far. But now, with this request of Joseph, it enters into the ears of Pilate that Jesus is dead. You don't ask for a body of somebody who's alive. And Pilate hears that Jesus has died and he marvels. He's astonished. He's amazed. He can't believe it. He's startled and surprised. Why? Because Jesus has died so quickly. Remember, we, we pointed out that individuals who were crucified, they could hang on the cross for days. One day, two days, three days. And remember, Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m. He died at 3. And the news gets to Pilate between 4 and 6. And he hears that Jesus has already died. That he's already breathed his last breath. And this is just a reminder that when Jesus died, he died of his own free will. He commended his spirit to his father. But, but, but Pilate hears this information and he's marveling. And it's interesting in the gospel of Mark, that word marvel or astounding is found in reference to seeing the miracles of Jesus. It's found in reference to the healings of Jesus. And here is Pilate. Astounded, amazed that Jesus is dead. And so he goes on to respond by inquiring if Jesus was really dead. He's marveling, he's amazed. He wants to know, is Jesus really dead? What's the evidence? What's the proof that Jesus has died? And so what Pilate does is calls upon one who would know best. He calls the summons the centurion to himself. Now, this is probably the centurion who was responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. This is the centurion that we saw last Sunday who saw Jesus breathe his last breath. This is the centurion when he saw the manner in which Jesus died. He says, truly, this was the son of God. This centurion is now summoned by Pilate. He comes into the presence of Pilate. 
And Pilate wants to know. Has Jesus already died? Is he already dead? And the centurion lets Pilate know, yes, Jesus is dead. He's dead. He has died. And on that basis, Pilate responds and gives the body of Jesus to Joseph. The terminology is almost like it was a gracious and kind act. It, it was a gift. Pilate gifts the body of Jesus to Joseph. And, and you can't see this in our English Bible, but the term that is used for body in this verse, in, in verse number 45, speaks of a corpse. A dead body. Whereas the term that was used earlier when Joseph requested the body of Jesus, that just speaks of a body. It could be the body of a living person or a dead person. But the point that is being made here is that Jesus is dead. That Jesus has died. In both of these verses, it's said several times that the Lord is dead. And what Joseph is dealing with is his body, his remains. So, so don't miss the point. There are those who, particularly during the time of Resurrection Sunday, during the time of Easter, they like to tell you that Jesus didn't die on the cross. He fainted. He swooned. And when they put him in the tomb, that revived him and he came back to life. Hogwash. Pilate goes to great lengths to make sure that Jesus is dead. In his mind, he cannot understand, he cannot figure it out why Jesus has died so soon. So he makes sure that that is the case. And because it is the case, because Jesus is dead, because Jesus is no longer alive. He grants the body to Joseph, the dead corpse of Jesus, was released to Joseph for burial. Verse forty-six provides the description of Jesus' body being buried. But the main character switches back to Joseph. In the previous two verses, it was on Pilate, but now it's on Joseph. And Joseph did two things. First of all, he bought a linen cloth. So evidently, as he traveled from Pilate to the place of crucifixion where the cross of Jesus was, he had time to buy a linen cloth. Either he bought it or maybe one of his servants bought it. But he bought a linen cloth and then he did a second thing. He took Jesus down from the cross. So at this time, Jesus is still hanging on the cross, his body, his corpse. He's dead. He's nailed to the cross. He's hanging there. 
and the body has been released to Joseph. But he comes to the cross and takes the body of Jesus down. Now, I don't believe that the scripture is saying that Joseph did this all by himself. He's a rich man. He's got servants who are probably helping him. And we also know from the Gospel of John, John 19, that Joseph was assisted by a man named Nicodemus. You remember Nicodemus, don't you? The man who came to Jesus at nighttime. And Jesus told him, you must be born again. I'm not impressed with your religiosity, Nicodemus. You must be born again. And so it's an amazing scene that as they take Jesus down from the cross, there is Joseph, the secret disciple who's come out in the open, letting everybody know that he's identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's Nicodemus, who evidently was born again. He's at the cross helping and making sure that Jesus is properly buried. And so Joseph follows the regular Jewish customs for burying a body. What did he do? Joseph, and the emphasis is on him. Mark no, doesn't say there's others. He's spotlighting Joseph. But Joseph, Joseph wrapped Jesus' body in a linen cloth. And probably as it was wrapped in that linen cloth, spices were added. And then Joseph laid Jesus' body in the tomb. A, a cave-like tomb that was big enough, so to speak, for the remains of a family. And Scripture says no body had been laid in that tomb, but uh, Jesus' body was laid in the family tomb of Joseph. And then Joseph, and I'm sure it required the help of others, rose the large, dislike stone in front of the tomb. Not because he thought Jesus was going to get out, but because he was concerned that people would come and steal the body. But he's laid in the tomb. He's dead. He's dead. And that's Mark's report about the burial of Jesus. There's one other thing that Mark wants us to know about the burial of Jesus. And that's found in verse 47. In that verse, we have the observation of Jesus' body being buried. The acts of taking Jesus down from the cross, wrapping his body in the linen cloth, placing the body in the tomb, and rolling the stone in front of the tomb. Those acts were observed by others. In fact, they were observed by 
two women. Both of them named Mary. We were introduced to them last Sunday. There was three women looking from a distance at the fact that Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross. Looking from a distance, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and Salome. But now it's only two other women mentioned. It's only Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother. These two mothers, these two women are observing and looking at what is taking place. They are beholding. It's like they're sitting down on a pew and looking at the, the uh, acts and actions on a screen. And, and they're watching carefully and repeatedly what is happening to Jesus. These two faithful women who follow, along with other women, Jesus from Galilee all the way to Jerusalem. These two women who observe the crucifixion of Jesus, the death of Jesus. Now we see them observing the burial of Jesus. And the amazing thing, they're observing they're looking because once the Sabbath is over, they're going to come running to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus, to make sure everything was properly done. And that's when the surprise at sunrise takes place. <laughs> they run to the tomb. <laughs> and the angel tells them, He's not here. He has risen. But, but these two ladies are devoted to Jesus. This, this is an amazing story. If you and I had written this, the disciples would be the ones doing all of this. We had picked out Joseph, a secret disciple, Doing all of this? Maybe the, the, the disciples of Jesus, wouldn't they want to come and bury his body? Wouldn't they care about his death on the cross? Wouldn't they want to make sure that his corpse didn't hang on the tree? Overnight, in violation of Deuteronomy 21, where are they? Wouldn't they want to be like the disciples of John the Baptist when John the Baptist was beheaded by King Herod? What happened? His disciples came and gave him a proper burial. But where are the disciples of the Lord, the one that the Lord has invested in? They're nowhere to be found. But here are Two faithful women at a distance where they can see what happens to the body of Jesus. It being taken down from the cross, being placed in the linen cloth, and obviously being carried to the place of the tomb, Joseph's tomb, 
They, they followed all of that. They observed all of that. Even to the point where the body is placed in the tomb and the stone is placed in front of it. Because if you read the resurrection account of Mark 16, the question that they're asking as they're coming to the tomb, how are we going to move the stone? How are we going to remove it? Who's going to roll it away for us? So this is the burial of Jesus. The burial of Jesus. And because of the burial of Jesus, you and I must be devoted followers of Jesus. Did you miss the devotion of Joseph? To Jesus, this secret disciple willing to come out in the open and ask for the body of Jesus so that he could give that corpse a proper burial. He's doing this for a Jesus that is dead. This is a dead corpse that he is devoted to. This is a dead corpse that he lays in the tomb. Did you miss the devotion of these two women? They're observing, they're watching because they want to give his body a proper burial and anoint his body with spices. But they're doing this for a dead Jesus. And they're devoted to this dead Jesus. They're committed to this dead Jesus. They love this dead Jesus. They're not thinking resurrection at all. And that didn't stop them at all in being devoted to Jesus. Here is you and I, the two of us. We know that Jesus is not dead. We know that he has risen from the dead. We know that Jesus is a risen Savior, a living Savior, a Savior who's alive. Are we devoted to him? Do we love him? Our love and our devotion to Jesus, knowing that he died, he was buried, and he arose from the dead, ought to be greater than any devotion that we see from Joseph. In the two Marys. We know he's alive. We know that he is risen. So our devotion should outstrip and outshine the devotion of Joseph in these two Marys. Because of the burial of Jesus, I must wholeheartedly Affirm the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You and I must be champions that Jesus has risen from the dead because we know that he truly died. The, the, the burial that we've just been looking at convinces us, approves it. Ask Joseph. Did Jesus die? Yes, he died. That's why I asked for his body. That's why I laid his body in a tomb that is used and reserved for dead people. 
Ask Pilate. Pilate, did, did Jesus die? I was amazed, Pilate would say, that he was dead. That amazed me, that astonished me, but he was dead. I heard it from the very words of the centurion. The centurion confirmed it to me that Jesus was dead. And that's why I gave that dead corpse to Joseph. Asked the two women. They will testify. We, we were beholding, we were looking, we saw with our own eyes how he breathed his last breath. As he hung on the cross, he was dead. As he came off the cross, they put him in the linen cloth, they put him in the tomb. He's dead. He's dead. So we can't let some philosophical, philosophical gurus come along and try to convince us that the resurrection was a hoax. Can't allow somebody to come along and say, oh, he didn't really die. He fainted. He swooned. When he got in that cold tomb, he came back to life. Can't let somebody come along and tell us that he's still dead. They just went to the wrong tomb. No, those two women carefully were observing where they laid the body of Jesus. The resurrection is truth. The resurrection is real. And if there's anybody who ought to be championing the, the truth of the resurrection, it ought to be you and it ought to be me because we know of the burial of Jesus. Thank God for the burial of Jesus. It confirms that Jesus truly died. It affirms that Jesus truly arose from the dead. Let's pray together. Father God, we're grateful and thankful for the burial of Jesus. Thank you that it's a historical fact. It confirms that Jesus did breathe his last breath on Calvary's cross, that he died and paid the penalty for our sins, that he was our substitute, that it should have been us, but he took our place. Thank you for the certainty that the Lord did die and did pay the penalty for our sins. And thank you, Father, that the burial of Jesus proclaims the resurrection of Jesus. It lays the foundation. Because if the burial didn't happen, Lord, then there'd be no basis for us believing that Jesus died and that he arose from the dead on the third day. Lord, because our Lord was buried, 
may we be devoted followers of Jesus. May it be said of us more than anyone else that we have denied ourselves, pick up our cross, and we're following the Lord. And Father, may we be champions of the resurrection. May we go out today and tell people that he lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Help us to not be ashamed of the death, burial, resurrection, and appearance of Jesus Christ. Help us to get the good news, the gospel out to men and women, boys and girls. Thank you for who Jesus is. Thank you for what he has done. Thank you for what you have taught us about Jesus throughout the gospel, Mark. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.